Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome back to Revive the Drive. I'm Pastor Art Georges, joined in the studio by Pastor Rich Burkle and Daniel Bennett. And in this installment of Revive the Drive, we're handling teen questions, questions that teenagers have, and uh, they're directing them to their pastors. And in this session, we have uh, T.R. Hoffman joining us. Uh, T.R., uh, thanks for joining us again. What, uh, what question would you have of us now? All right, so in the Bethany Community High School, we're studying idols and uh, doing a series on that. So at this point, I understand everyone has idols. That, that's something that we worship and value more than God. Um, do you have some suggestions for me? What's the best way or system to identify them in my life? Mm. Go ahead, Rich. You want to start with this? Well, I was thinking since Pastor Daniel is TR's uh, pastor, there <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so first of all, uh, what is an idol? So as you've been learning in your Sunday school class, that's awesome that you're talking about that. What, what have you discovered an idol is? Because a lot of times we think of an idol as a uh, you know as an image that's a wood carving or stone. Uh, um, but but what have you discovered an idol is? Well, it's not just some sort of statue. It's anything that we worship. So anything that we, uh, like I said, worship or value more than God, something that takes our priorities and time uh, more than God. Yeah, yeah. Right. and that's, that's the reason why Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon or money at the same time. Mm-hmm. You'll love one, hate the other. You'll hate one, love the other. And, of course, syncretism, have you discussed what syncretism is in your uh, in your in your Lesson. Ask, the, ask your teacher yet. that question next next uh, week. Syncretism. Okay. Syncretism is where you try to worship two different gods. So you try to worship the God of the Bible as well as other gods. And that's what Israel did all through their history. So it's very interesting. You see this problem with idolatry in among God's people. God says, I am the Lord your God. You shall worship and serve me alone. And yet over and over again, they disobeyed that up until, do you remember when they when they stopped uh, committing idolatry? They didn't have a problem with idolatry after God judged them through the captivities, mm-hmm. uh, not at least with, with the Philistine and, and uh, Canaanite and pagan idols of, of mm-hmm. establishing worship centers alongside of Yahweh in the temple. Um, they learned their lesson. In other words, God, God, <laughs> God brought Syria, God brought Babylon, and to this day, Orthodox Jews are monotheistic. They are not polytheistic like they were back in the Old Testament uh, because they recognize there is only one God, and he is very serious about uh, holding on to the glory of his name. And and uh, so um, the subject of idolatry is not a small thing. It is a huge issue with God. The, the first uh, two commandments uh, deal specifically with this issue, indicating how important this matter is. And of course, when Moses came down off the mountain, uh, this was the very thing that caused Moses to throw the, the tablets down uh, on the ground in, in disgust. So, Pastor Daniel, as uh, as TR was asking, how can you tell whether you have an idol in your life? What, what would you say 
uh, are some symptoms. Well, I think the fruit of what's being produced in your life shows what you're worshiping. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we talked about James 4 a couple of sessions ago, but whenever uh, James is talking there in, in chapter 4, he says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's, it's, is it not is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust, do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you, you, you do not ask. And he goes on and, and talks about how they're adulterers. Uh, friendship with the world is hostility toward God and uh, and, and so forth. So I, I think the idea there is, is I look at my life and I, I see fruit. You know, I see anger. I see bitterness. I see frustration. I see, uh, I see arguments in my life. I say, well, what? What is it that I'm worshiping that I'm not getting that's, that's causing me to respond in that way? And a person might might say, well, um, you know, my my friends and I, or my, my brothers, uh, my, my brothers and I are are arguing a lot, and we're arguing about, um, you know, a, a certain video game, or we're my, my, I see my parents are kind of fighting a lot about finances, or things are rough. My schedule is rough right now and, and I'm, I have too much homework and, and things like that. And so I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm taking my frustration out on other people and it's expressing itself in, in anger and, and arguments and things like that. Well, what's happening there is there are idols in my life or there are things in my life that aren't necessarily bad things, finances, video games, depends on the video game, I guess, depends on the type of finances, mm-hmm. um, how you're obtaining them, uh, ease of life, there are things in, in life that I want, I desire, and I'm not getting them. And so my response indicates that I've made them an idol. And so what I encourage people to do is to to look at their response to, to, to life and things that are happening to them in life. And where you identify a response that's not a fruit of the Spirit, frustration, it's anger, it's whatever, um, that's an excellent way to help you identify when something has become idolatrous. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, some person, so, someone has said, um, if I'm willing to to sin to get something or sin if I don't get what I want, that is how I can identify an idol as well. I'll mm-hmm. sin to get it or I won't or I will sin if I don't get it. That's the point of the test, isn't it? Right. I mean, it, we, can, we can worship God in a hundred ways and say, okay, I'm going to submit, I'm going to worship, I'm going to acknowledge. And it's the, it's the one thing, though, that mm-hmm. – that, uh, is the issue. We, we can't take comfort. I have a hundred ways in which I'm honoring God or submitting to him. And this one thing, though, that's the only thing I'm holding back to mm-hmm. myself. Well, that's the issue that kills you. It's, it's the thing that destroys you. And, and it's detestable in God's sight. He is jealous. You know, He mm-hmm. says, I'm a jealous God. I will not share my glory with another. I will not give my praise to carved idols. And, um, you know, I, I was having a conversation uh, with, a, with a friend and they're talking about their sister who um, is in a uh, immoral relationship, and sister, you know, he's had some great opportunities to to talk uh, with the sister. Thank God about her walk with Christ, and yet this is the one issue. She says, "I'll do everything, you know, <laughs> to honor God, but let's not talk about this particular relationship." Mm-hmm. And and yet that's the idol. That is the point which spiritual death enters into a person's life. Yeah. Jeremiah says, uh, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Uh, The natural condition of the unbeliever is to be idolatrous. Uh, What happened 
what happens in salvation is illustrated in First Thessalonians when Paul says uh, that we were we were assured that salvation came to you because you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now that happens in mm-hmm. salvation, but it has to continue to happen once we're saved because uh, just as Israel continued to struggle with it pre-exile, uh, uh, we continue to struggle with it. Um, and, and it happens, again, through those attitudes. And oftentimes that idol isn't uh, tangible. Even money uh, is, is not immoral in itself. It's the value that we would attach to the power it might give us and the influence and uh, the comfort apart from God's own uh, blessings. And so um, we, have to, we have to identify what is unique to us. Sometimes it's getting respect from somebody else. And if they won't respect you, that's an idol because you're willing to sin against them if they won't. You're willing to cast them off as a, an acquaintance or a friend. Um, and, and so, um, again, I think that uh, the other two pastors have given uh, the best way of identifying it. It's what am I willing to sin to get? outside of uh, uh, what God wants me to have or what I'm I willing to sin if I don't get. Um, yeah, that's, that's really great art. You know, uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, has this famous quote about idols, and he says, the human heart is an idol factory. Hmm. Every one of us from our mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. You know, um, uh, there's a, there's a, a verse that... Uh, um, First John records in First John twenty one. He says, "Little children, keep yourself from idols." Mm-hmm. So, what are some idols that that you guys would identify as very common idols for teenagers? So, what are some things you know? As Tr has asked this uh, question of us, what are some things that you would specifically identify as? Okay, well, be careful of the idol of what? Tr, you have any thoughts there? Do you? Oh, sort of idols. Yeah. So I'm, I think about my video own video games. Vi- you know, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, I think popularity, popularity being esteemed yeah. by others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to put words in. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, gaining the respect of other people, I'd say. Uh, that, that would be a, that'd be a fairly common yeah, one, yeah. I would say. I think one of the greatest idols at, at that age is this, uh, significance. Where do I fit in and hmm. who am I going to allow to help me define who I am, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, you know, Colin earlier asked a question about movies and you know, Daniel, when, as you were talking about anything that you'd be willing to sin in order to continue in mm-hmm. is an idol and and there's some that says I know it's I know it's not right, but I'm going to do it. I'm going right. to continue to go to the kind of movies that would cause God to grieve. Um Sexual sin, pornography. Uh, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to keep keep doing it. Uh, alcohol, um, you know, money. I think of the rich young ruler. I think that's what Jesus was saying when he says, "Sell everything. It's an idol. You got to get rid of it." Mm-hmm. And he went away sad. He couldn't have the Lord. So, yeah, take heart if uh, if some of those things uh, are things that you struggle with, because God wants to help you to get victory, but be zealous in how you attempt to deal with the idols of your heart. Well, thanks, TR. And well, thank uh, again, we're joined by Colin Christenberry. And Colin, uh, thanks for joining us again. What question do you have for us this session? Uh, yeah, it was awesome to think through idols. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Um, so the question I have is, 
um, how is the Bible relevant to me today? Um, so whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, you think about all those rules and laws that applied in that culture, and um, in the New Testament, it's just all about Jesus. So how does that apply to me? And you know, there are people that will say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm a good person. Life's going really well for me. I don't need all that. You know, don't tell me I'm sinful. It doesn't apply to me. The Bible just doesn't have effect on me. Maybe for you it's good, but for right. me, kind of postmodern idea. So, mm-hmm. well, see, yeah, you have to understand the biblical world. They struggle with things like lying and stealing and uh, not treating people well and being selfish. And, and those are those were justice, justice, uh, lack impurity. of compassion, impurity, and specifically for people like um, that aren't <laughs> saved too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. how does that how is that relevant to me? You know, right, things like that. No, these these are great. This is a great question. But you know, Daniel's uh, um, point, which uh, he, he was making in a in a um, just roundabout, yes. a great way. I don't I don't know what the exact word to, to use for that. But poor, no, excellent, oh. excellent, enjoyable. Justing, yeah, in just yeah. <laughs> but, snarky, uh, snarky way, <laughs> snarky, snarky way. way. Um, See that. But the point he's making is isn't it fascinating? Well, here we have this this book that. Um, you know, it's over parts of it over three thousand years old. It's a long time. Uh, all of it's around two thousand years old. The earliest part of it, you know, is two thousand years old. And yet, when you open it, you you think this book is talking about my life today. <laughs> um, that the the problems of Joseph of of Cain, uh, jealous of his brother and angry with his brother, still here today. You know, the problem of uh, Adam and Eve taking something which is forbidden that they wanted that looked good and looked pleasing to the eyes and looked like it was going to uh, taste good. Um, the problem of uh, Joseph, you know, having to run away from Mrs. Potiphar or the brothers being jealous of a favored son. It, you just go down the line and everything that you find. So it's it's interesting to me, even the question that people ask in order to run down the Bible. How is it relevant? And, and sort of Daniel's response, how is it not relevant? <laughs> well, and, and the question of relevance, how is this relevant, isn't a new question either. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. It's a question that for 3,000 years, you know, think about Psalm 119. Sure. The psalmist is pretty intent on showing how God's word is relevant. Right. right. Yeah. Sexual immorality um, was rampant within even the book of Genesis and uh, we have the doctrine that we learn from Scripture that God doesn't change. And so uh, while we think that we've become more sophisticated and outgrown some of these definitions of sin, God judged sexual immorality as uh, stringently as he, uh, in the, he will in the future as he did in the Old Testament. So um, what we find even from the Old Testament is um, that we can discern eternal truths as uh, was mentioned in an earlier session, a fallen condition focus, which focuses on a common fallen condition known to mankind. And even with the Old Testament, sometimes people say, well, is the Old Testament still applicable? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, um, now these things happened to them, he's talking about Israel, as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed uh, that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Okay, we see it throughout Scripture. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted 
beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And and so um, the Bible is still relevant in all of its parts because uh, it speaks to this fallen condition and how God offers grace in the midst of it, how he uh, promises judgment without repentance. And so uh, we can use the Old Testament to enlighten uh, for illustration for the New Testament and on. One of the parts of Colin's question is uh, that there are some passages in the Old Testament that are hard to find their relevance to us today. So, uh, you know, wearing uh, clothes of mixed fabrics, uh, dietary laws. So, so there are some of those that maybe you guys can comment on how those parts are relevant. Those are the parts also that a lot of people use to dismiss the relevance of the whole. That if, if it's not relevant anymore for us to be careful of wearing clothes with mixed fabrics, Why then none of it is relevant. So I think that's important for us to address. Um, you know, and, and I'd like to hear you. To your address? Was that a pun? Oh. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> we got to do it quick. Sorry, good one. Rayon that's the best pastor right there. Thank you for <laughs> seeing more seeing more in the in the words and the text itself than what there is. Um, but – but uh, you know, just just as a preface for you guys to to answer this question, I like and I can't remember who said it, but um, I think it was Mark Twain, who's an unbeliever, but um, may not have been him, who said it's it's not the parts that uh, I don't understand that uh, concern me; it's the parts I do. Right. Because <laughs> that. So first of all, I'd back off that question and say, well, okay, let, let's admit that there's some of these questions that we have as questions, and that are harder to answer, but but let's first focus on the things that are really clear. Um, so that's one, one of my answers. But talk to us about these parts of the Old Testament that relate to um, laws that we seem to not hold as relevant or as applicable to us today. Yeah. Well, dietary restrictions for Israel, um, clothing uh, restrictions, uh, all underscore this idea that Israel was to be set apart from the nations. They were to live a life that's different. And that sort of uh, went into the discussion we had on entertainment earlier, uh, be set apart. And that's what we can discern the overarching principle from those difficult passages to apply. And so as we look at any text, we say, okay, who, who was this written to? Anytime we come to any part of, of Scripture, we ask, who is it written to? And, and what are the instructions to the people to whom it's written? And so you come to the Old Testament. This is written to a certain group of people at a certain time. And the New Testament is very clear that the Old Testament was written, not written to us in the sense of us being the direct recipients of it. And so we can still come to the Old Testament and say, this still reveals the character of God in terms of the types of instructions he gives. He is, as Art mentioned, he's concerned with how his people live in relationship to other people. And uh, I don't have to worry about whether or not a tattoo um, communicate something that I'm worshiping here in this culture, whereas the Israelites would have to worship, worry worry about that. But instead, I can I can uh, ask the same questions of the text. What is this? Re- why did God write this? To whom did He write it? What does it reveal about His redemptive purposes and, and His character? As as I read, and so even uh, I would say I, I do still learn from the regulations and laws about fabric and boiling a goat in its mother's milk or a kid in the goat milk. And there's, there's still things I learn about God and his character and what his purpose for his people is as I, as I come to the old Testament, those passages still relevant. So just because God had some very specific 
commands to a community and to a nation, the nation of Israel, that he doesn't still have for us uh, as Gentiles as part of the church doesn't mean that all of the law is eradicated. Right, or even that that law is is not relevant in terms of me understanding who he is. Right. And it, it and we would we would we could discuss how that even that I, part of the law is fulfilled in Christ. Right. All of it's fulfilled in Christ and that the moral uh, aspects of the law are still relevant because they're rooted in who God is, not just that he's establishing a separate people. Great. Well, thanks so much, men, for joining us in the studio and we hope that this has been a profit to the listener. Uh, We'll see you again soon in Revive the Drive.